0: You shouldn't shave but cultivate your down and let it grow So when you do return, it will be soft and white as snow Your lovely Jane will be surprised when all begin to cook The greenhorn to his mother will say how savvy
1: Hello, and welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In this episode, I will be completing my brief series on Francis Parkman Jr.'s The Oregon Trail. Now, this little series, this book, um, is not my main goal. My main goal is to get into his historical writing, but since he wrote this and since the Library of America put it in the book, I am taking a stab at it. So, I've been talking about it for the last two episodes. It is a book that's not about the Oregon Trail. It's not a history of the Oregon Trail. It's instead a memoir of uh, Parkman's journey, which he took in his 20s, to the Great West, the Plains, the Puebla regions of Colorado, and the Rocky Mountains. So he tours actually quite a lot of ground in this in this, uh book and he provides his record of it his memoirs of it and he published them in the Knickerbocker in 1847 later published it in a in a book version in 1849 so it's his first work his first major work and it's like I said not a history but it's a memoir but it does have so many interesting things to talk about if anything the book is just too rich too detailed and and too um too kind of a episodic I guess to make it that easy to to talk about. in fact what you got are like dozens and dozens of, of little short stories and little vignettes often of interesting characters who dwell in this growing frontier. Um, so the themes I've been focusing on have been things like of course Indian culture and how Parkman interprets and looks at Indian cultures and there's a lot to say about that and something that will be continually. Part of his career and it's actually something that's tainted his legacy a little bit is his rather um, You know He, he like all america most of white americans at the time tended to see Native americans as kind of noble savage or uh, Kind of backward people uh, But that said I, I think parkman is fairly nuanced in in looking at the differences between different groups class distinctions Recording their politics in, in a way, he reminds me a bit of some of the missionary accounts of of like, a, you know, the French Jesuits, something we'll we'll talk about. It's the second volume of his big epic France and England and North America. It's the second volume of that is about the Jesuits in North America. Very, very fascinating story. But if you ever read the Jesuit relations, those French Jesuit records, you notice that they're not in a position. <clears throat> they're not really in a position to. To completely ignore the reality of Indian life and imposed on them European perceptions, and I think Parkman's in that in that group. So, um, whatever his his faults, I think his portrayal of Indians, I think they're they're superseded by his overall attention to detail and attention to the nuances, and his just his effort, his real good faith effort to document um, the individuals and the different tribes he encounters. Uh, another theme I focused on has been environment and again this is something that this is a book that the environmental historian could go through you know page by page and talk about the changing frontier now the large story here is something parkman was aware of but maybe not had yet fully seen and that was capitalism and empire as it conquers the great west it's going to pull those areas into global capitalism and and american capitalism and as it does it it's going to make it's going to transform the prairie, it's going to transform the animals into commodities. Now, this is a story that is told in wonderful detail, brilliantly, by a 20th century historian. Actually, he's still around, so I um, shouldn't say that. But he wrote a book back in the 1980s called Nature's Metropolis, which is a book about Chicago, but it just does a brilliant job of documenting, you know, how the Northwoods of the Midwest, the Plains, and the animal life of the Great West became commodities um, via Chicago. Now this is all predating or post, this all happens after, I mean, Parkman's journey. Parkman's journey predates a lot of this, but he starts to see the change and he starts to predict the impact that the arrival of settlers, the arrival of capitals, and the arrival of empire is gonna have on the diverse cultures and the diverse ecology of the region. So, but we do get a lot of great vignettes describing, you know, the prairie dogs and the buffalo and the other animals and plant life of, of the frontier. He's not primarily an ecological thinker. He's not primarily thinking in terms of environment like someone like Audubon or, or Bartram or Muir later on would, would do. But nevertheless, he is, you know, providing a picture of the beginning of the destruction of of nature in the great west which is of course going to be the story of the later 19th century in large part the story of america in the later 19th century is the story of empire in the west and the assimilation of the west into the needs of of capitalism primarily the providing of grain the providing of meat wood and and mining materials gold and other metals It's such a big part of the American labor history, too, whether it's the range wars of of the later 19th century, the brutal class wars fought in the mining towns and on and on. Such a big part of the American story um, that goes so much beyond just the Wild West. And and I think Parkman on some level saw this coming. And I I think that's a contribution of his of his work. And uh, another theme here is the diversity of people. In in the Great West, whether it's emigrants from all over North America, whether it's religious diversity, as in the Mormons, he talks a lot about the Mormon migrations and he runs into Mormons during his, his journeys in the West, uh, the diversity of Indian peoples, the diversity of, of immigrant cultures who are there too. So it's, you know, primarily the Oregon Trail is a story of emigration to the West um, by by white Americans, but it's a story of other people, fur trappers, um, mixed race people, um, you know, obviously the different Indian societies. So that is another important theme here. And then the final one is the final major theme I think we should focus on when we look at a book like the Oregon Trail is empire, um, empire building. And it's not, it was a coincidence, but it's not insignificant that the events documented by Parkman, In this book take place right alongside the mexican war and he actually encounters firsthand the fighting of the mexican war troop movements and all that and you know the mexican war is not the first battle of american empire uh, in the west for that we can look to forward to his next book on on the conspiracy of the pontiac of pontiac conspiracy of pontiac the uh, indian leader who organized resistance to the British in North America and, and and American colonists after 1763. And in that, in the context of the Seven Years' War, uh, you know, you can even go back farther than that to like something like Bacon's Rebellion, if you want. It's an ongoing story, but, you know, certainly the Mexican War, so key. The U.S. steals half of Mexico in a war of conquest. And as a result of that, it opens up. California, the Southwest, the Colorado territories, the Rocky Mountains, more so than ever before to penetration by the American military, uh, American settlers, and eventually, of course, American capitalism. So the fate of Indians would not be resolved for another 50 years after Parkman stopped writing. Um, But obviously, that story is one of, of, of defeat and conquest, people being pushed into reservations, a story of resistance, But uh, I wouldn't say futile resistance, but failed resistance to the encroachment of of an American empire. So, you know, I'm a big believer that American America was an empire from the first day from from the Treaty of Paris, if not prior to that. Um, And America never wasn't wasn't an empire. And this is something more and more historians, of course, agree with me on. gordon's book you know the empire of liberty which i haven't read but it seems to be getting at this this theme and more and more historians are aware of empire not just in the philippines not just in the caribbean or latin america or eventually creating this global empire you know it's 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 this this old narrative you know if you were my age you learned about the settlement of the west you learned about you know kind of Westward expansion presented really in the language of manifest destiny, but that's not how we look at this anymore. Obviously we need to look at this as the West as a as an area of competing empires and an area of, of conquest and and you know, efforts to assimilate Indian people, efforts to shove them into boarding schools, efforts to destroy their culture and all the other things that we you know see in the story of empire. The same kind of rhetoric used all on and on. So um, that is what I think is key about this book. And so just kind of in in summary. So I'm starting with my summary before getting into my thoughts on the final 100 pages or so of the book. All right, so th- this book actually breaks up pretty nicely into three acts, if you will. The, the first part, more or less, is, is Parkman and the formation of his party, which at the core is... Him and his friend Shaw, and two guides, and they head out to Fort Laormare and have all sorts of adventures and experiences on the way. The middle part of the book involves kind of a expedition out to meet uh, some Sioux people um, and live with them for a while and go hunting with them and, and kind of experience that culture. So that's a really rich part to get at, you know, the, the life and the experiences and the world. the, the the ethnology really ethnography really of the of of this branch of the of the Sioux people and the third part the final part of this book looks uh involves an expedition to the south to the Puebla to Colorado to f- what's it Fort Hutt sorry I got it really wrong there Bent's Fort I need to take better notes uh they go to Ben's Fort which is you can still go visit that uh I checked it out um in Colorado and you know just experience uh, life among the Puebla and that's when they run into um, actual fighting and troop movements of the Mexican War which is a pretty striking thing you don't think of that so much when you think of the Oregon Trail um, because of the path it kind of avoided where most of the fighting was but that the Oregon Trail was active at the time when the US was busy conquering conquering Mexico and 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 we see The ramifications of that and obviously it's going to have massive massive ramifications not just for the US and lead up to the Civil War, but you know for the Indian people in the West. I mean the the Indian Wars really begin simultaneously with the Civil War. Um, And then uh, after that they end up following the Arkansas River pretty much all the way back to to the Mississippi uh, back to where they started. So, and on the way, they do a lot of buffalo hunting. So if you're interested in the story of buffalo hunting, I think this third part of the book is, will be meaningful for you to look at. Now, I, I was thinking of talking a little bit about ecology here, but I think I made my, my main point about uh, this particular book, what I want to say, because he's not primarily an ecological thinker. It's just you see on the horizon the transformation you know kind of in hindsight Uh, but at the time I'm not I'm not sure he definitely predicts at one point that the buffalo will will be extinct soon he talks partakes in the hunting right he's not very environmentally conscious in that way but he's you know he certainly sees that once the west gets settled by by these emigrates that it's going to mean a major change in Indian life because he realizes how interdependent they were on on the buffalo herds, um, but I think what's more striking in this return voyage down the Arkansas is just how much military presence there is and and how visible it is, and people are you know begin to tell them reports about the Mexican War. For instance, um, in their journey this is their journey down to the Puebla down to Colorado, they meet um, a man named the Stabber. So this is, a, this is also a nice little vignette of, of, of someone. Um, I love that, this part of it. I mean, it's just full of these different characters. So, quote, a single Indian had come with his family and whole way from Arkansas. As he had passed among the lodges, he put on an expression of unusual dignity and importance and gave out that he had brought great news to tell the whites. Soon after the squaws had erected his lodge, he sent his little son to invite all the white men and all the more distinguished Indians to a feast. The guests arrived and sat wedged together, shoulder to shoulder, within the hot, suffocating lodge. The stabber, for that was our entertainer's name, had killed an old buffalo bull on his way. This veteran, this boiled tripe, tougher than leather, formed the main item of the repast. For the rest, it consisted of wild cherries and grease boiled together in a large copper kettle. The feast was distributed. And for a moment, all was silent, strenuous excursion. Then each guest with one or two exceptions, however, turned his wooden dish bottom upwards to prove that he had done full justice to his entertainer's hospitality. The stabber next produced his chopping board on which he prepared a mixture for smoking and filled several pipes, which circulated among the company. And so this is just the introduction to this meeting. I want to get to the main story He, he, he relates. But this kind of feast with the rituals and then the sharing of tobacco happens a lot in this story, and it's it's really key to some of the cultures that they, they encounter, and we see how important tobacco was as a commodity uh, for interacting with, with the Indians. Okay, so here's the story. I'm going to read this, too. Quote, he had been on the Arkansas, and there he had seen six great war parties of whites. He had never believed before that the whole world contained half so many white men. They all had large horses, long knives, and short rifles, and some of them were a tired alike in the most splendid war dresses he had ever seen from this account it was clear. The bodies of dragoons and perhaps also a volunteer cavalry had been passing up the Arkansas. The stabber had also seen a great many of the white lodges in the Maniska drawn in their longhorn, drawn by their longhorn Buffalo. These could be nothing else than covered ox wagons used no doubt for transporting stores for the troops. So after seeing this, our host had met an Indian who had lately come from the Comanches. The later had told them that all the Mexicans had gone out on a great buffalo hunt. Then the Americans had hid themselves in a ravine. When the Mexicans had shot away all their arrows, the Americans had fired their guns, raised their war whoop, rushed out and killed them all. We could only infer from this that war had been declared with Mexico and a battle fought in which the Americans were victorious. When some weeks after we arrived at a we heard of General Kearney's march up the Arkansas and of General Taylor's victories at Matamoras. So they're getting reports of... of of the mexican war including this uh the Matamoros battle okay so that that's that's that story is recounted as they're journeying south to to colorado and of course at this time there's there's no colorado territory or anything it's just uh you know it's in mexico it was you know at the time it was it was still part of mexico i think um so they run into mormons who of course at this time are migrating to utah now previously in the story they they heard rumors that a group of immigrants were mormons but this group actually are mormons and we get a little bit of dialogue about their 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 flight from from the east and their migration and a little bit about their theology and yeah parkman has this discourse with with the Mormons, which is a nice little addition. There's actually quite a few mentions of LDS throughout this 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 account. And it's around this time after they after they spend some time at Ben's Fort that they meet the last great companion they have on their voyage, they, their journey. They had different companions joined up at various times like Renal, this Indian hunter, who they spend much of the, the trip with. The final one they meet is this guy, Tete Rouge. Um, really great name. So here's the description of him. Um, After completing these, we sat down under a sort of porch to smoke with some Cheyenne Indians whom we found there. In a few minutes, we saw an extraordinary little figure approach us in a military dress. He had small, round continents garnished around the eyes with the kind of wrinkles commonly known as crow's feet and surmounted by an abundant crop of red curls with a little cap resting on top of them. Altogether, he had the look of a man more conservant with mint juleps and oyster suppers than with the hardship of prairie service. He came up to us and treated that we would take him home to the settlement, saying that unless we went with them, he'd have to stay all winter at the fort. Um, The rugged Anglo-Saxon of our new recruits' real name proved utterly unmanageable on the lips of our French attendants and Henry Chatelon after various abortive attempts to pronounce it. One day, Cooley christened him Tete Rouge in honor of his red curls. He had at different times been a clerk of the Mississippi Steamboats, an agent in the trading establishment at Nauvoo, Nau- Nau, besides filling other capacities, in all of which he had seen more of the life than was good for him. In the spring, thinking that a summer's campaign would be an agreeable recreation, had joined a company of St. Louis volunteers. Um, so and he, he fights in the Mexican War. So then we get more of his story of how he fought in the Mexican War and the different adventures he had before finally deciding to return. So he's another really fascinating character that we're we're, we're introduced to. And I, I think Parkman just does such a great job of making these people, you know, kind of heroes of this frontier. Now, these are not the kind of figures that show up in history, but they're there in these frontier areas. Right. They're not uh, they're not well known, obviously, but. They, they really have quite exciting lives. And I think that's just part of the, the frontier experience that makes it, that's why people like to read it, I think, is you get these larger-than-life characters that, that seem to emerge who, who just seem to come out of inglorious uh, backgrounds. So then uh, with their company, with Renault, with Ted Rouge, they go uh, down the Arkansas and on the way you know hunt hunt buffalo and Parkman takes part in this in this buffalo camp this hunting buffalo and then they just sort of travel down the arkansas and here they run into more signs of the the, the mexican war uh, more stories and and more troop movements and things like that and then at, they travel down the, the arkansas and then they finally get back to the settlements which is sort of where they where they began and then the the story ends um so yeah, that's what I wanna say about this book. I, I think it is worth looking at. It, it wouldn't be on the top of my list of recommendations, but if you just need something fun to read, if you're interested in the West, if if you want these stories, I think it, it's it's hard to kind of extract a single thesis from it. There's a lot of different themes that he sort of plays with, but in a not really serious way. His main goal is to entertain people by documenting the kinds of experiences he had in the in the Great West, um, up to Fort Laramie, through the Rocky Mount, or around the Rocky Mountains, up among the Sioux, then down to Fort Bent, down the Arkansas. You know, it's it's a lot of fun. So I, I kind of recommend this book. Um, now I'm more interested in his histories and I'll probably have more to say about his histories. But uh, for now, I think that's all I'm gonna say about the Oregon Trail. So uh, if you wanted more, I'm sorry. That's, that's all I feel like saying about this book for now. Um, so there is a good audiobook version, version actually on LibriVox, fairly well read. So uh, you can check that out. I think most of Parkman's stuff is, is on LibriVox. Now these his histories are too. So coming up, I'm going to have a, a five-part series on The Conspiracy of the Pontiac. This is a fairly um, big work. Um, a lot of it's footnotes, though. There are a fair number of footnotes with it. Um, but and a, there's a, an appendix with a bunch of primary sources. So I'm going to talk about this as a work of history. I'm going to talk about his, his overall thesis and perspective um, and kind of go chapter by chapter, like I normally do in this, this podcast. I'm going to do it more conventionally in The Conspiracy of the Pontiac. So um, that, will be, that will start next time. So as always, thanks for listening. If you've if you've read the Oregon Trail, or uh, if you want to know more about it, send me you know, make your comments, send me your questions, send me your thoughts, uh, Either leave a comment, you can leave a review on iTunes while you're at it, and or send me an email, hundred pagescast at gmail.com. So that's gonna be it. Um, I'll see you next time with uh, Parkman's The Conspiracy but of
0: Hunting. For bread and meat, for coffee and for brains, your 60 days are a hundred or more in your grub, you've got to divide. Your steers and mules are alkaline, no footage you cannot ride. You have to stand to watch it.